Welcome to New York's Finest, Retired and Unfiltered Podcast. The mission of this podcast is to explore the life and experiences of those who at one time held a front row ticket to the greatest show on earth, policing the streets of New York City. This show hosts a wide variety of guests from all walks of life and professions, but remains centered around introducing retired members of the NYPD to our audience while having real unfiltered discussions. Please tune in each week and like and subscribe to hear true crime stories and opinions on past and present events like you've never heard them before. All right, everybody. Welcome to New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. Uh, tonight, we have a special guest with us, Mike Weatry. Mike's How a, How's it going, Mike? Mike's a retired NYPD officer. He's a seven and a half year veteran of the department. He was injured in the line of duty. He is now out three uh, on three quarter disability. He's disabled. Um, and he is a member of tier three. Mike retired out of the one to one precinct. He's here to walk us through his life, his career. And we're also going to go into the pitfalls of tier three uh, with us. We got the great and powerful Eric Dim with us as well. Eric, how you doing, What's my brother? What's up, everybody? Outstanding. All right, Mike. So if uh, you don't mind, if you want to just start, uh, you know, if you just tell us how you grew up, where you grew up. Yeah, no problem. I grew up in uh, the Flatland section of Brooklyn. Grew up in a family where my dad was a civil servant. He was uh, in the FDNY. Ended up being a captain, retired in 93 as a fire captain. Played sports all through my life. Ended up playing Division One basketball. Played professionally in Europe in a number of countries. Ended up blowing out my knee in a summer league playing in Long Island. And that's when, when I was home one time, I had taken an NYPD test. I said, my time is coming to an end. I'll know when it is. I didn't get my shot to go to the NBA back from playing in Europe. And I said, oh, that's, that's the sign. I blew out my knee. I got called for the NYPD and went through all the, all the testing, psychological, and ended up getting in the academy in July 2011. What, uh, where'd you play? We played D1. That's a, that's an accomplishment. Where, yeah, I, play? pl- I, pl- I played at South Carolina State University. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And then you yeah. play, and where'd you play overseas? Uh, my first country I played in was England. Then halfway through that year, I was able to get out of my contract and went to Spain, which is the best country besides the United States for playing basketball. And after that, I had played in Hungary, Italy, and France. So I, I had a good time, so a lot of countries, and uh, had fun doing it. And then um, what what was it about the NYPD that made you want to join? I know your dad, your dad was a fire captain, right? Like yeah. I always say, if I would have known someone on the fire department, I would have never became a <laughs> cop, but I didn't know anybody. was <laughs> <laughs> That's the funny story about basketball with, and also they played basketball with my brother in college, and they ended up joining NYP around 2005, 2006, and they were like, oh, you know, come join the NYPD. It's a good job, you know, good benefits, good good, good insurance. You know, it's, it's, it's a good way to go, another opportunity, and see where it leads you. It's a, it's a steady job, and, you know, you, you could do good things in the job. And I said, you know what? I'll give it a shot. <clears throat> and then I happened to get called. 
for the July 2011 Academy. And I, I was I happened to be in Las Vegas at the time. And I had to be back in New York two days later. But I was like, you know what? I'll give it a shot. And uh, that, that's how it started. And then um, what, uh, like, walk us through you going in. Like, what were, you, what were your thoughts, like, going in, like, going through the Academy and then coming out? I, I didn't know what to expect. The first, we I went in the Academy during the summer. So my, my first experience was I, I sweat a lot. And we were in the suit for the first. We were in the first in the suit for the first couple of days at the old academy, and I, I was just drenched. People like this is the guy that sweats a lot. Wow, look at this! Guy. I went through a couple of suits in the first week, so uh, it was kind of rough. <laughs> but as as far as everything else, I was sort of older when I went in the academy, and you know, I was I was I was going through, and I, we got to the gym part once we started. I was like. Something's wrong here. I, I'm older. I know I played professional sports, but they, these guys in the academy, some, I mean, why are these guys dropping out of the run in the, <laughs> after the first lap? I was like, something's wrong here. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I, I knew then because when I got in, the guys in my company were like, see, that company right there, there was a company – may have been six or 13. That's the company that has the hooks. I was like, what do you mean by that? Like, oh, they know people on the job, their moms and dads with this, but a full company. I'm like, ah, oh. I said, this is going to be fun. This is going to be real good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How, uh, how, how old were you when you joined? I was actually 33. You were 33. Yeah, oh, so, you, so you were a little older. See, I, I was 23. And I, I think Dim, Dim was about the same age too, right? You were 23, Dim? On the nose, brother. Yeah, On the yeah. nose. <laughs> so you were looking at all the young kids like, oh, my God, what the hell did I just get myself into? I was, like, I was like, what did I get myself in? Yeah, exactly. What did I get myself into? And I was they like, call you, know you Grandpa? No, nah, they, they were good. My company was good. I had a good – we had a good carpool from Staten Island. It was all good. Yeah. <laughs> and and so then – and then so you go out. You star in uh, Transit Impact, I think you said? Yeah, we, uh, Transit Impact turned out a TD30 on Hoyt's gym. Oh, in Brooklyn, yeah. You got to go to a precinct to, to learn the job, which I, I wanted to do, but we went to Transit, and uh, the guys that had maybe six to 12 more months on than us, they trained us good in what we had to do in Transit. The bosses were amazing. You did what you had to do during the month. And if you needed a day here, a day there, if you wanted to take off or whatever you wanted, it was great. It was, it was a good time. Rough area, but I, I grew up in Brooklyn, so it, it was to be expected. And um, I'm sorry, I was just waiting to see if Dim wants to jump in here. But uh, but so my <laughs> question, so like I just want to kind of go into that. Like, what do you think your training was there? Like, what was your focus and mission like coming out? Did you, do you think it was still a proactive mission when you came out? And like, what year was that? Oh, it was 2000. I went to the Academy in 2011, July. We got out January, 2012. And yeah, it was, yeah, it was proactive. It, it, it was right away. It was like, yeah, you know, go, go, go out there and, uh, bring some bodies back and, and, and earn your keep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was the height of stop question first, 2011. That was when the, the you know, that was the height of it. Uh, the Blasio doesn't come in until 13. Um, did you notice a exactly. shift? Did you notice a shift when he got elected? 1000%. I, when, when, uh, 
when I first got out, it was like the even the the everybody in Brooklyn, you stopped them basically in transit. They were a recidivist. Everyone everyone had a nice did, you stopped them and but they knew they knew the deal. They were you you stopped them, you had a warrant, they popped, we're going to jail, whatever, or we'll be out. We have it, it was it was cool. They they knew who who not to mess with, who to mess with. It was and but once the Blasio got in office, it was a totally different animal for oh we, we can get away with whatever we want. We we can do what we want basically. And I'll and I'll and I'll leave that sorry to interrupt you, but I'll leave that towards sort of I don't know if people say the Ferguson effect. That was a little couple of years later, but it's sort of the same thing. Yeah, no, I, I said right away when he got elected, I felt like a, a huge shift in the city, just in the vibe. And, you know, they tell you, oh, don't, don't go by your gut. Don't go by your vibe. But I'll never forget, he got elected. And it was like a weekend. And I was doing, I was an anti-crime sergeant. And I'm in an unmarked. And one of my guys pulls over because he has to use the bathroom. So he stops like a Chinese restaurant. He runs into pee. And these three dudes come walking by. And they're like, I see you. So I'm like, what the fuck? So I get out of the car. I'm like, you got a fucking problem? What's the problem? I see you. I see you. And I'm like, that never happened to me before. And I was just like, there's something changing here as this guy is yapping, 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 yapping. And I'm like, this is fucking weird. Like where people actually confronting the police, you know? Um, But I mean, we were still, I mean, we were still locking people up for a good five years into his administration. What would you say, Dan? What would you, would you uh, like, what, what years did you see the shift? Did we lose Eric? It was immediate. Do you hear me? Do you see me? Yeah, yeah, I got you. I got you. You froze for a second, but I didn't see. For me, it was immediate. Actually, I actually felt it started to come on. I remember months before that he actually swore in. You could start to feel it turn. It was towards the end end of the tenure for Bloomberg. The Blige was coming in. His constituents started to follow. And you could feel the tide change. Because I remember at the time, I was the anti-crime judge of PSA 4. And I'll never forget we had, I remember we had a gun collar and there was, there was a crowd interrupted. But usually we were used to the crowds kind of like taunting us in trying to impede our job. But I remember this crowd was really converging on us. And I felt like, wow, if we didn't take action, this crowd was just going to, we, we just we were getting sucked into this vacuum. And it, it was an eye open. I remember at that point, I said, wow, the game is changes. I, I, I felt it. We didn't have that even. And, you know, there's just in that short amount of time, I could feel that we didn't we didn't have that presence anymore. That that just that reputation, that that image, that that we the tone was being set. It, it, I could feel it immediate. I'm sure you could probably agree, Mike. Exactly, it's the same way I felt. And and then Mike, you, so what what happens? You get how do how do you wind up getting injured? Like how does that happen? It was a, a family job in Staten Island and Mariners Harbor. And it was like, uh, it was a section eight house. We knew about it. We went to back. They had FTOs then. So I don't know when, when I came out of the Academy of sure, like you guys, we went straight to impact and we were on foot doing, but after that, I, I think it changed, might've changed in 2016 where everybody went straight to patrol cars. Like there was no more, there was no more impact. So one of our guys who was the training officer was with, one of the rookies who just got out of the academy and it was a big commotion in a house. And we knew the house was a problem house. So we go over and it was like 15 to 20 people in the house. One of the kids, it was an EDP, tried to push past uh, one of the female officers who came on the scene. 
and I took him to the ground. It was just uh, snowing out, so my boots were wet. So I had to take him to the ground. And as I slammed him to the ground, I extended my right arm. And to me, I, I, you know, I guess my adrenaline was flowing. I didn't notice anything right away. And over the radio, they was yelling and screaming. So I guess uh, a lot of people came and ESU had come. And a guy from ESU was like, you know, you guys, you guys if, if anything happened, you landed on the ESU, you get checked out. I was like, you know what? Uh, I'll go get my shoulder checked out because it's starting to bother me. And we got back to the command. So I was like, all right, I'll do the paperwork for you. And it turns out I, I tore everything in my shoulder. I tore my bicep, my labrum, part of my rotator cuff. So from there, I was, I was want to say I was did all the therapy and was limited and restricted for a few months. And then uh, the medical district, the surgeon in Staten Island okayed my uh, surgery. Mike, can you tell us what year this was? That was in 2017, March 2017. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, how how was that process, Mike? Because I I I, we, I hear all the time from a lot of guys, especially in Staten Island, that they have uh. a, they, they go after Flynn or whatever her name is, and they, they you know I hear it constantly from people exactly. that are severely injured and from people who aren't that injured. Exactly. Well, prior, like I want to say a year and a half prior, something happened in the cells. I ended up hitting some, I, some guy took a swing at one of our guys. I ended up hitting him. I, I broke his orbital, but I ended up breaking my hand. Long story short, I was out a little bit. I wanted to go back full duty because I saw Flynn and she sees me and she sees my x-ray. She goes, well, I'm putting you back to work limited. And I knew, and yeah, exactly. I knew when I went back limited, I, I'm not going to name any names, but I don't pull any punches. Our XO at the time. Wow. Real gem. The guy was so. I got hurt sticking up for one of our cops and I, I, I did what I was supposed to do. And I knew if I went back limited, he was going to, he was going to mess with me as far as he would change my tours. He would do whatever I, whatever he had to do to me till I came back full duty. Cause I wasn't one of his guys or, or I didn't know anyone. Why, so why not call out his name? What loyalty do you have to him? Why not call out his name? He's exactly the problem. Oh, I will. Uh, leadership. Another guy yeah, that's I, embracing nepotism. I don't yeah, have a problem with this. Kenneth Noonan. Kenneth Noonan. Terrible Kenneth chili Noonan. he makes, too. <laughs> 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 yeah, but um, so that happened. And she says to me, she goes, I'm going to have I'm going to put you back. And I uh, limited. And I said, absolutely not. I said, if you're putting me back, I want to go back full duty. And she says, I can't do that. You still have a slight crack in your hand. It's not completely healed. I said, put me back full duty. She said, absolutely not. And as soon as I go back to the precinct, they're changing my tours. I'm doing, because I was a day, originally I was midnights and I went to day tours and then they were moving me all around, whatever, like if, just to mess with me. Like they moved me to four to 12. They moved me on, on a, to a midnight on a two day swing, things of that nature. And uh, I came back as soon as I could. And then uh, finally she put me back, but that, that was the start of my nightmare with uh, Flynn. <laughs> But I mean, but it's important to highlight, like, you know, it, it is the culture, like that's the culture in the NYPD, like, and, and people need to know that, you know, people get hurt, people have psychological issues, women get pregnant. And if you're not well liked, or in the, I don't know how you want to say it in with the in crowd, you're going to have a problem on this job, like, and you and a lot of people have experienced that. And it's wrong. You know, thank God. Thankfully for you, it was just, it was a, it was a, it was a broken hand. You know what I mean? But there are guys that are severely exactly. injured. They get thrown back to to work, severely severely injured, and 
you know, you're, you're, you're physically unhealthy. You're mentally probably not that healthy. And now, hey, let's really just stick a, a, a knife in you and turn it. And, uh, you know, but Newton's no stranger to the news. You know, I remember when the SBA was uh, – was uh, going at him, and then they promoted him right after that, you know, when he was in the one, two, three. So uh, I'm sure it is what it is. I heard a lot of stories about him, too. But uh, so, all right, so now you get injured. Um, how long does it take you from that time? Oh, my service is bad tonight. I don't know what the hell's going on. Sorry, but let me know when it's okay. All right. You had this issue yesterday, though. No? Yeah, I don't know what the hell is going on. I think you know what it is. I re- sorry, sorry about that. Okay, so you got you have to. Uh, they Flynn wrote me physical therapy first, so I, I went to therapy for I want to say like ten sessions. And what they do is she she knows all the doctors in Staten Island. So originally they send you to Healthcare Associates on Highland Boulevard. So I went there. I saw Dr. Giovanazzo, nice guy. They had the MRIs. He says, you know, well, I'll give you a cortisone shot. We'll see how it goes. You have some tears in your shoulder and whatnot. And, and, and that's that. So I went through everything and she was, she was giving me a hard time. You know, I, I was back at work very fast. And then w- once again, I'll, I'll say this. I was back at work within two weeks from hurting my shoulder and my tours were being messed with again. And, uh, you guys might, you guys would probably laugh, but there was someone that was in a school unit. Now they were trying to tell me we can't have two people on day tours, uh, limited or restricted at the same time. That was their excuse. And them telling me, well, this person has a little more time on than you. So we're going to move your tour. And I was bouncing from like four to 12 to midnight. And the person that I got moved for, you know, what, you know what the injury was just got butt implants. <laughs> oh, that's very so, important. That's yeah. very important. <laughs> so that was butt implants. I got hurt doing my job, backing someone up, and uh, I'm shit out of luck. Your your tours your tours are changing. <laughs> she working at PSA seven because a PSA seven the, the the whole tour goes out for that. They take turns. <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> the BBL, the Brazilian <laughs> That's that. That's awesome. That's hey, awesome. listen. So yeah, so God bless him. <laughs> yeah, if you could do it, do it. <laughs> but uh, after after that, when I came back, I asked for a second opinion uh, for the hospital for special surgery because I knew if I was needing surgery, I said, you know what, I'm better off. I want to see what the doctor has to say there. And I went to a doctor O'Brien who used to be the surgeon for the Giants, and he told me he's like. Looked at MRI and says, you know, uh, this is pretty bad. <laughs> I'm not going to sugarcoat it. He goes, I don't, I don't know if he'll be back to work. So I said, I said, I'll see. I'll see what I can do. And then finally, uh, <coughs> Flynn okayed my surgery. And I want to say June of that year of 2017. And, and then what year did you get out? Like what year were you I didn't get out till no, November 2018. Took a while. All right, so so almost two years from the injury, right? Like a, a little bit over a year? 18, yeah, like 17, 18 months, yeah. It was a long 18 months. Like, I, I'll be honest, I, I wasn't looking. People could say, you know, people come up to you in the precinct, oh, you're going three quarters, look at – I was like, no, I'm just – I'm looking to get better. But And Flynn actually – this is how I knew – I knew my shoulder was really bad because at the six-month mark, Flynn put my paperwork in 
for retirement. She's like, oh, you, she goes, your, your shoulder is one of the worst shoulders I've ever seen. You, you're going to need that replaced. And this job isn't going to pay for any more surgeries for you. That was like the quote. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, okay. So she put my paperwork in. And then uh, I want to say like five months later, I, I got a notification for a board date when I was in Viper and the 120 in Staten Island. Explain to everybody what Viper is real quick. Uh, for some, it's a place where if if you get a little in jammed up or jammed up or in trouble, they'll send you there. Me, I, like I said, I don't know anyone. I was sitting at the TS doing my job. I didn't mind it. And one day, I get one of my sergeants says, "I can't believe they, they sent you a they sent you to Viper starting starting Monday." And I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Because you you know when I was in the one tour, we were on foot. We were on foot, and that's where I what we were on foot in Stapleton. We were we were in the projects. So I was like, ah, I got to go back there and finish. <laughs> I, I just wanted to stay in the precinct and be left alone and, and finish out whatever time I had left. Cause I was there and there was at the time, the one-to-one is, was, it's a crazy precinct, but there was like six or seven people limited or restricted. And about half of them had less time on than me and did absolutely nothing. And I was, my name was picked out of the hat to go. <laughs> some people, like I said, Mike, some people, yeah, go ahead. Sarah, can, you, can you explain for the public? what Viper is supposed to be and what you actually do there? It's supposed to be like, we there's, there had to be like 90 something cameras on the screen and you're supposed to be watching and uh, writing down the, what crimes are going on, what every half hour camera check. And, but basically it's, I was there looking at my, I, I was watching the screen, but you're sitting there. It's almost like you're in punishment in uh, junior high school. And I'm looking at my iPad watching, uh, Watch whatever movie or, or TV show I could watch. Watching The Wire. <laughs> yeah, so so for those of you that don't know, Viper is basically it's in, in-house in NYCHA buildings in, in New York City. So, Mike, where, where was your NYCHA? Where was the one that – where was your Viper that they sent you to? I, I started rotating between Jersey Street and Stapleton, and uh, they kept me in Stapleton. At, I guess at the, at the end I was in Stapleton. It was – you know, I not that – I didn't mind but, you weren't being bo- you weren't being bothered too much, but I, I was doing midnights to start, and I'd have literally if I looked to my left or right, I have roaches crawling up my arms. So it was like I'm like, what am I doing here? <laughs> it felt like it felt like a punishment. Good. Did they take your gun from you when you got injured? No, she didn't. She did oh, okay, not. all right. But she but she has taken guns from people I know that that got off the job. Yeah. Yeah, Tim, anything we missed about about NYCHA, uh, about the Viper room? Yeah, no, I just want to explain. So that was Viper 5, right? Yes. Right, so at the time, so for the public understands, each uh, each development within the city is monitored, and some were selected that have cameras. So not all the housing developments in the entire city have cameras. But the ones that do have cameras are monitored by a video enhancement system. So Viper is just an acronym. It stands for Video Enhancement Patrol Enhancement Review System. Uh, and, we, and unfortunately, it actually is fantastic cameras, but they send cops there that are jammed up, which means that they're facing discipline. They have potential situations where they may be fired, terminated, or getting a substantial amount of discipline. So, And then on the other hand, then they have cops like you who are mm-hmm. injured. And unfortunately... Not treating your injury uh, as, as you know to, to make sure that you in care, you kind of get pushed to the side as where you, you're treated like a broken toy. It, so it's it, great, it's, exactly. it's, right? It's a great thing to have this viper because it's a great tool. But you have cops there 
that are miserable that don't want to mm-hmm. do the job now because some are on the verge of getting uh, terminated and some are going to be uh, retired like yeah. yourself on three quarters disability or medical disability. So you're sitting there just praying to get the hell out. Exactly. So it's unfortunate. And, and I see that in my tenure. And John, I'm sure you've seen that too. I've seen women that were pregnant basically get demoralized that they had to get transferred and moved around because they're pregnant. I, I mean, like, it's almost like they, like they did something wrong, which I thought was absolutely ridiculous. I thought if my wife or my sister or my mother was treated that way, man, I wouldn't like it. And then people like mm-hmm. you, you got hurt for doing your job. And it's unfortunate to byproduct this job. And you're, unfortunately, you're treated as a broken toy or that you're not, you're not, you're not useful to the job anymore. So, and unfortunately, you don't have a hook, which we talk about the nepotism. So they throw you to the side. And, and, and at that point, why is there any motivation? So, and it's unfortunate. And that's, that's what I'm curious about is the battle that you had to face. But I, I'd like to go into, John, if, if you want to go into. So I think it's very interesting. I, I love taking notes. And I've been writing stuff down. So here you are in 2011. You came on the job at the height of the stop and frisk. And now we see in 2020, 22, right? 11 years later. We're at the height of subway crimes. It's a deplorable place. There's mental illness, and it's become an encampment, right, for homelessness. And we have a substantial amount of crimes. People get pushed on the subway. Could you tell me what it was like, type of policing that you did versus what you see that's going on right now, being in transit and impact in 2011? Oh, sure. Uh, we, we, we were set out there to be proactive, and I don't know if people know, but NYPD guys will know. They, they were there are break rooms in every train station. And that's where mostly you would, you, if you were looking for a second, like mo- most of the time you, there was visibility where you would ride the trains, but at other times you were to, to, to bring in an arrest or, 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 or collar or someone, you, you could stay in these break rooms and you actually visibly see people going under the turnstiles, jumping over the turnstiles, or as you're riding the train, Another situation where it can be arrest situation if someone has a warrant or they're a transit reset if they walk to, through the train car doors. And when when I was there, it was in an abundance. And the, the guys I the, the, the crew I had working with Impact were, were very active guys. Some a lot of the guys that went on, they're all detectives now, some in warrants, some in narcotics. So yeah, it was a good crew we had. But now, as of now, I see. I see the, the mayor who who's who's a complete well. This is a new mayor now, another disaster. But <laughs> his idea is to force force people that are patrol cops to even go out of their boroughs to do overtime and stand there in transit. And like wh- like what do you what do you expect from from these guys? They're on their days off. You're ordering them out of their borough. To, to, to go work in transit, which they don't work in. And it, it, it's just, it's demoralizing. It's, it's part of the reason why guys I still speak to that I work with my friends, the morale is so low on the job. It's so low. Oh yeah. They shouldn't be leaving their borough. I mean, and, and that's another thing that the public for the public. I mean, Every borough is arrest specific. So when you make an arrest in Staten Island, it's not the same as when you make an arrest in Brooklyn. I made a ton of arrests in Staten Island. And when I went to Brooklyn, my first day as a desk officer, this kid comes over with a stack of papers. Paperwork this big. For a guy that was drinking a beer with an open warrant. And I'm like, what what is this? Get this out of here. 
And he, I was like, all you need is this and this. And he's like, no. He's like, I need this affidavit. I need this. I need that. And I'm like, what the, what the hell is this? And then I'm looking at, yep. you know, he had to write the same thing 800 times in Brooklyn. Then when you go to Manhattan, it's a little bit more like Staten Island where it's less. But then, you know, the Bronx, Queens, they have every, every borough is different. So I'm going to say right there, you put a cop out of their borough that they're comfortable in, a proactive guy. He's not proactive any longer. He's going to say, you know what? I don't really know that. I don't know that that uh, borough so well. You know, so exactly. Exactly. I heard all that change too. With even Staten Island now, all the paperwork's different. So yeah, and Fine. then go go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I just want to explain to the public so they understand there is a reason why. And I, I actually talked about this on the podcast that we just did, John, where we talked about the nepotism and the racism that's going on with the job. Is that so? What's unique about New York City is that five counties make up a city. So each county has their own district attorney, and what does that mean? Each district attorney has their own set of guidelines on how they want the system processed. So even though you're on the same job, you could be a cop in Staten Island, you could be a cop in the Bronx, and it's the same job, same laws and procedures. But when you actually have the dichotomy between the street and what's going on with the arrest, you're working for a different district attorney. So they have different guidelines and rules of how they want to be processed. So I agree with you, John, and Mike especially. Here you are, let's say you're a cop in Brooklyn, and you're working at a precinct. Now they want you to go work in Manhattan in transit and you make an arrest, you have no idea how that process works. It's exactly. completely different from what you're accustomed to. So there's no motivation. There. I, I, that's one thing I always disagree with. Why don't we have all five D- DAs get together and say, Hey, listen, we need to come up with a system. Let's all have the same unanimous universal de- system so that a cop like Mike here can transition from the Bronx to Staten Island to Brooklyn, Queens, and it will be the same job. Exactly. So, so Mike, um, before we get into you getting injured and going into tier three, just a couple more questions on on your thoughts on the job. Um, towards the end of your career, prior to you getting injured, how did you feel about the overall leadership and message of the job? Like I said, when I first started out, our sergeants had 20 plus years on an impact. They were, I, they were amazing guys, like salted earth people. They, they did the job when, when it was, was the job. And t- towards the end, it was like, you're being treated like a child. Like you're, you're here, here I am. I, I was older when I got on the job. They, they, they're trying to overanalyze and scrutinize everything, little thing you do. I, at the end was, I finished just as body cameras were coming on, but there was the, I don't know if you remember that it was the quest for excellence. Yep. And, and oh, it yeah. was, and it, in my precinct, it was every day. Let me see your quest. How many summons do you have? Do you have this? Do you have that? All right, we got to put you here. We gotta <coughs> do this, you gotta do. It's, it's like, just let us do our jobs. And I just think there was a lot of over analyzing and treating grown men and grown women like they're like their children and people forget where they came from like when i retired i had passed the sergeant's exam i was on the list i had i got an 85 but i knew if i i became a boss i would i would not act like some of the bosses i had when i was a cop because you don't ever forget where you came from at any point where, where you are in your life and a lot of these people forgot where they came from 
<clears throat> yeah, no, wow. I, I, I agree with you. I, I mean, I, I agree. I think, I think a big problem is you have guys and girls now that were only cops in the de Blasio administration that are supervisors now and they're high ranking supervisors. And I don't know what the message is. You know what I mean? I, I haven't known the message on this job for a long time. You know, I really have it that, you know, I I've said it before the Panaleo situation, even though I didn't know Danny, mm-hmm. I, I mean, Danny was me, you know, I was like, I'm not, I was like, this is crazy. And now I'm here with these young guys going out in the street and we're doing the same exact thing. I'm not going to sit there and tell them to to go do the same thing and get these people arrested when I have a mayor on TV crying. You have the police commissioner, you know, basically agreeing agreeing that this is wrong and then watch this kid eventually get fired. And I knew he was going to get fired the whole time. I was saying it. They're going to fire him. They're going to fire him. You know? Exactly. I I just remember that that was during that time where we would do eight hours and 30 minutes on patrol. The next thing you know, oh, you're being held. You're going to the city for uh, they're protesting in the street with the Blasio walking by us. And one of the funny stories I have is we were there during SantaCon and you have them protesting against us, saying pigs in a blanket frying like bacon. And the SantaCon people were pro-police and they were screaming at the de Blasio protesters and the protesters coming up to me and saying, you have to do something about these SantaCon people. They're threatening us. I said, are you kidding me? I said, get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> but this, this is what actually, this is, this is what actually happened. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. What, uh, what would be the most impactful thing about like your takeaway about your career though? Like, what do you, what do you say? Like, what's something that you'll always remember though about being a cop? Like what, like, Bring us there, like anything, anything impactful, whether positive or negative, whatever, like just something that always sticks with you. When I was in the one to one on day tours for a period of about a year before some people moved on, some people got promoted, some people left to go to FDNY. We had a we had a really good crew where we actually came into work and you're like, if something goes down, someone <laughs> someone's going to be in trouble and it ain't going to be us. And we, we had a good time. At work, good time at roll call. You know, when you used to, they used to have the, they used to give you the Lorna Dune cookies after you gave blood and anything left in the roll call room. The last person in the room would get all the Lorna Dune cookies thrown at them. <laughs> thrown at them. <laughs> so to this day, uh, a bunch of those guys and me, we still keep in contact, go out every now and then. So it's the relationships you make with the, with the good people that you work with. So that's basically where I'm at. No, you know, I, I, I got to tell you, Mike, it's such a pleasure to hear you talk about this because John and I say it all the time. I remember getting on the job, and when I got on the job, it was so much fun back then. I, I never wanted to take off because you're like, oh, what's going to happen next? And that's, and I see that green exactly. in your eye talking about it, and, and it just makes me smile because at that time, we didn't, we didn't care what we, how much money we made. We didn't care if the conditions sucked. I mean, there was a lot of things that sucked then that do suck now that we could actually compare. But it was such a good time. Mm-hmm. The morale was great. We, we all enjoyed being around each other. And just the semantics and the jokes and the pranks that you play with each other, you couldn't wait to get back to work. And I see that green arrive. But I can tell you, now you would see a whole different job and you would not be smiling. And I, it, it really is a shame. I, I, but I tell you, seeing you smile, man, it brings back memories. Thank you, brother. That's outstanding. It's making me smile right now. Uh, you talking about it. Man, I never forget, John, I swear to God. 
I never forget. I got. I can't even remember this girl's name, but I'll never forget. I put fifty crickets in the car before she got in, and when she got in the car, she was just going <laughs> nuts. And it's the two of my buddies. I'll never forget. It was Terry Avent and Billy Shaw. Two. They were the two biggest cops in the command. Huge. And I bought. I bought two. I'll never forget. Two little pickies, mice from Petland, and I put it in their car. They were doing a vertical <laughs> up and down in the building. And when they came out, they the two biggest guys. I was watching binoculars. They wouldn't get in the car because there's two little mice. Crawling on the seat, John. We had a good time, man. <laughs> I, I, I miss that was a good time, but it's over. Yep. <laughs> exactly. No, I, I hear from I hear from the guys that are still left from from the guys I work with, and and they just they're counting the days. They're like I, they're like after they tell me after I get off this job, I'm gonna need to I'm gonna need to speak to a therapist because everything I've been through, I can't even like, people. <laughs> people like people don't under, like they tell people don't understand what's going on. And, and other than that, I'll just shortly, I'm having another surgery on my three quarter sh- shoulder where I have to have it resurfaced and a metal ball put in. But I went to the doctor the other day at hospital special surgery for my pre-check. And this is, this is to let these guys out there that are still in the job. know the doctor actually female doctor, Asian lady, she actually said to me, she goes, what did you do? I said, I hurt my shoulder when I was a police officer. I'm retired. She says, oh, my God, I have friends that are police officers. I feel so bad for the police officers now in the NYPD. They don't know <laughs> that, that there's a lot of people out there that do support them. All they hear about is the negative. But I support you guys. I support everyone in the NYPD. And I just if you, if you speak to anybody you still work with, just let them know that they do have some support in the public. Don't listen to all the negative stuff, which to me, I, I thanked her and said that that, that was great. Uh, yeah, I say that all the time. I, I say that all the time. I say that, you know, overwhelmingly, the overwhelming majority of the public support us. You just won't know it by listening to your local politician or by turning on the radio or the news. You would have no idea. But overwhelmingly, mm-hmm. whatever community I ever worked in, the majority of people always loved us, you know, and, and exactly. I think that's what keeps people going, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so, Mike, I just want to kind of get into your situation now, right? Like you're going for another surgery. You were a professional athlete, right? Yeah. Are you the same guy from Not, when you no. stepped in the police department? No, I can't even I can't raise my arm, my right arm to put something on the shelf. Or I can't reach even behind my back. And I was a bad, that's what I did. I played basketball up until the point. I can, if you ask me to shoot a ba- basketball right now, I, I couldn't because of how bad my, my shoulder was, how bad the arthritis and all the damage was. So, no, I'm, I, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and, you know, and so why I'm bringing that up is, is like, I want, I want to, you know, not that I want to get personal with you, but I do so that everyone understands it, you know, and, and, you know, I want to kind of get onto tier three and I don't want to knock the guys that came on in tier three, because when I came on this job, I didn't know what tier I was in. I could have been in fucking tier eight. Exactly. I have no idea. I, I don't know. You know what I mean? I was, I came in on tier two. A. I was like, I was 23 years old. I didn't, I was like, oh, you yeah, know, I'll be a cop. I saw the James Earl Jones video <laughs> and I thought I was going to be sliding down the, 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 the rope on the, on the, from the helicopter. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I don't care. I'll do that job. Like them said, I didn't even know what they made. I was like, I knew I was making less money, but I was like, all right, whatever. Cause I, I you know, I was, I was working since I was a kid. So yeah. I, was making, I was like, yeah, it looks cool. I could do that, you know? So, I, you know, so it's not a knock on anybody. I would have I came on in tier three. I'm just a little bit older. Or, like, I just went on at a different time, you know? 
Um, so, but I, exactly. I just want to, you know, so here you are, you're, you're, you're fully disabled. Your shoulder's still mangled. I, obviously you got to get a metal ball put mm-hmm. in you. You obviously can't work. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't even raise your arm. Nope. Um, nope. and, nope. uh, I, 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 not to cut you up, but I, I know where you're, you're going with this. I actually, when I, when you retire, you get a medical board date for three quarters. I got the medical board date. I got approved. Four months after that, I got a pension board date. And I was told, you don't go to the pension board date. The attorney goes, and then they'll tell you a finest message will come down in the system. And then like a week later, you'll go to uh, the pension section. So I'm not knowing what's going on because people I worked with who either got hurt or whatever, they were in tier two. So there's, there's no one I could have spoken to prepare me for this. So I go to the pension section for that day and I'm meeting with my counselor and she says to me, uh, there's nothing I can pull up in the computer system because tier three isn't in here. And I had people sitting next to me in tier two that were retiring and they got a full printout of what they'd be making every month and whatever their overage was would go into this or that. And for me, my pension counselor said, there's nothing updated in the system yet. So I have no clue what you're going to be making. <laughs> So I, I was sitting there like bewildered. I'm saying this is supposed to be the best department in the world. And I got hurt and I'm retiring and I can't even be told what I'm going to be making for the rest of my life per month. And I, I was like, wow, this, this something's wrong here. <clears throat> that, that's insane. Um, so for tier three, did, did your overtime count? Any overtime that you were able? And what, did they even give you any overtime as you were hurt? Oh, I get Absolutely not. No, I was in Viper and uh, I was on midnights and I went to days, but it wouldn't even have mattered because I didn't find out what I was making till after I retired. And I had called um, this Joe McCone. He runs the PBA seminars. And finally, I got a hold of him and he called me back and he says, uh, you're you're pretty. I, I don't want to put words, but he said, you know, you're pretty much uh, screwed because you have seven and a half years on as you retired. Cause I don't know if you know in tier three, three quarters, it goes back actually nine years. So to get it, it's five years, it's, your, it's supposed to be five year average, but to get the first year in that five years for three quarters, they go back four years prior, they go back prior. And then each successive year can't be 10% more than the year before. So that the year I retired at seven and a half. So basically I had two years of top pay. It did nothing for me because the years I made, I made a hundred something thousand. I couldn't make 10% more than the average of the prior year. So even if they gave me overtime in my last year, it wouldn't have counted for me. It would have done nothing for me except give me more money at that, that paycheck. John, you and I were talking about this yesterday. It's exactly what I was talking about. That the problem with tier three is that, for guys that don't get hurt, they retire with a 22-year pension. It's a nine-year look back. And you could only do 10% more each year. So if you have good contracts along the way, I mean, unfortunately, I don't have a contract right now. If you have good contracts along the way, you essentially could never actually get a 50% half-pay pension because you can only do 10% more each year. So if over those nine years you had gotten more than 90% in a raise, you can't get half that. It's just impossible. And and that's why we all talk, talk, We also talked about this. So here, these guys, none of this money has been pensionable for them to get an increase for it to be 
So if they just get a retro, none of that will be pensionable. It's just, like I said, cash is trash. It's just going to be temporary cash. None of it's pensionable. It's not going to help them in their long term. By the way, um, are you tier three or are you a tier three enhanced? Tier three enhanced. Yeah. I, they, three like, enhanced. Okay. P- part the way through that, they gave you, uh, they sent around if you wanted to opt into it. I did opt into it and, and I was tier Could three. Could you break enhanced. that down? I, 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 know, <clears throat> I know it is, but I, I, since someone who's been affected by it, could you break it down for us so the public understands tier three and tier three enhanced and those options that you were given? Uh, and specifically, if you can explain about the pre tax and post tax money. I think I, I'm with the being that nothing was explained to me, I just had to learn everything myself. And it was about four, about four years ago. I think it was 50% originally. Like if you got hurt for disability, they'd give you 50%. And it enhanced, it, enhanced it was three quarters of supposedly your, your last five working years, but actually that that's actually a lie because it goes back nine years. So like you said, it goes back nine years, which is- And how much did you which, have to pay? How much did you have to pay for that, right? Because you had an option. Am I correct? I did. You had an option I to did. go with this or not go into it. And you had to pay for it. How much did you have to pay? They were taking it out per paycheck as I was working. And then even as like, I was short like two payments. So even when, when I retired, I had to literally- Go get a cash, in, go, go get a money order and send it to the NYP. It's it's totally insane. It really is. I, I actually know the answers. I, I actually, I was, I took a lot of time. I, I'll be honest with you, and uh, some of the guys might be upset by this, insulted, but I went to some of those pension seminars and I think they're inadequate. I think there's a lot of information that's missed and it's actually not provided. Uh, I think the tier three guys have gotten totally screwed. I agree with John. John, you're 100% correct. I had zero idea when I was young, I was 23 years old. I had just got home from the Marine Corps. I don't know what tier two, tier one. I didn't know any of that stuff. I had no idea when he was signed up for the medical plan. I didn't understand how any of this stuff works. Now that I was a 23-year-old guy. I didn't I didn't think about what it's going to be like when I'm 43. I didn't have kids yet. I didn't have, uh, uh, you know, I, I had a wife. But I didn't have kids. I didn't know where, where my life is going in that direction. So I, I don't blame you. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the tier three guys, you had to pay for that. You had an option. Pay for it or don't get it. But here you are, again, another – and lost that you had to get in order for a contract. John, I, I'm sure you saw that. It was, it was despicable. No, nah, that's, that's absolutely it's, – it's, I got one better for you. There's a rumor floating around right now that – and I don't think it's a rumor. I think it's, it's going to be legit. I think they're just holding until after Thanksgiving. Top A is going to be seven years. Wow. I'm not surprised. Not surprised. Top <laughs> pay is going to be seven years. So, like, just think about Mike on his nine-year look back. He was playing international basketball. He gets injured. So I don't know when that, uh, how long you were out of work for until the time you took the test. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah. I mean, I don't understand how that is, even comes into play with, with, with. So if that, if, if you, if now we go into a seven-year to top pay, you're screwed. You'll never be a top pay. You'd be injured for the rest of your life, unable to work, and you'd be making. I don't know, $40,000 a year for the rest of your life. You can't even live in New York City. Making peanuts and then to top it all off from, from what I've heard is even I, I, I pay five, a little over $5 a month for the insurance I do have. I've had a lot of issues and I've had to get injections, gel shots, whatever. Even that is costly when you add up all the co-pays with the rehab. But now I'm hearing that they're going to try and take away the insurance. Like what? What, like, what do you, I'm already getting 
tier three is already getting killed. Like someone like me, I'm already getting <coughs> killed as far as my monthly pension. But now you're adding in, you're going to take away the insurance that I do have and make me pay more with something. That's that's ridiculous. Where my, where is? Go ahead, Eric. Go ahead. No, I lost you. Go ahead. Say it again. Yeah. I was I was going to say, like yeah. I had actually I had actually contacted the PBA through their Instagram, and a couple of times prior, I had gotten responses. This last time, I I, I got no response at all. I, I basically said what I'm saying here. I said, where does this make people like me and others? I'm sure there's other people with less time on than me in tier three enhanced that got hurt. I don't even know how they're, how are they supposed to survive? Like how, how is this okay? How are you going to accept this? And now I'm still having issues. Like I've said, I'm having another shoulder surgery in two weeks. It's more, you're going to look to take away insurance from people. I'm going to be dealing with this. Probably I could have it replaced in like 20 years from now. So that's going to be another issue, but how are you okay with this? That, that's what I want to know. Yeah, so so for those of you that don't know, I, I like I put something out there about that they're trying to take away healthcare, and that's the municipal labor committee. So right now with the PBA, and I got corrected on this recently, right now with the PBA, they're in perb, so they cannot do anything about the healthcare. Um only thing that they can negotiate through PERB is your salary and your chart and your schedule. Um However, the New York City Retirees Organization, Marianne Pizzatola, she was on this podcast. She just got a victory in court today. Um, so they pushed back on the <coughs> Medicare Advantage. Doesn't mean they, they knocked down the city's appeal. The city lost their appeal. Fight's still ongoing. So Mayor Adams is still attempting to take you out. Um, however, in the last contract, we Pat Lynch funded the raise through through all, almost basically our healthcare fund you know so that's so and and by doing that he made an agreement with the Blasio that they would become a partner in helping save the city however many billion a year they spend on our healthcare so i you know that's where i was pulling it off of i was a little i was i was a little wrong on what i spoke on but yes they are uh, down the road. I think healthcare is going to be an issue for the PBA members. I think right now it's an issue right now for all the other unions. When they go into negotiations, there's it, healthcare is on your healthcare is on the table. I don't care what anybody tells you. Ask your, ask your trustee, your rep's not going to know. Ask your trustee, ask your union president. I mean, you should have no problem. There's no chain of command. You should have no problem emailing a union president. There's, uh, you know, I, they're the same rank as you. So I, I don't, you know, exactly. I look at, there's no chain Sorry, of command. I agree with you 100,000%. And if there is some contract that's negotiated at, with PERB and they don't get affected by it with their medical plan as far as with the contract, they're going to get affected by it with the union dues. The union's going to say, listen, we got this medical plan. We can't afford it anymore. And you're going to have to pay a substantial amount of dues. 100, they're going to be affected either way. The candle, the candle's burning on both ends, and that's not good. Exactly. Mike, what else about TF3 do you think is 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 a bad pitfall? Just as whether it's related to your injury or not. Like, what what are the uh, issues? As a as a as opposed to tier two, or just. As, as just just how it is, like just whatever it is, you could do it. You could compare it to tier two if you're familiar with it, or whatever you want to say that the issues that you have with it. 
my my issue is is mainly like like I said the retirement issue, and also like I I you got like I said you guys said the same thing you didn't know what tier you were going into when you got on the job, but when when I'm on the job and I see my friends that some of them actually were in tier two got hurt might have had like two and a half more years on than me getting almost double. I, I don't envy anyone. I anyone should get what they get because if you get hurt and you're doing your job, that's great. But almost double what I get. But they also, you guys, I know you guys have the 50 50 and ITHP and, and, you know, and the mat, you know, the, the city matches. We have, uh, I had a 457 and 401k. We have deferred comp. That's what the tier three has. But I, tier two is amazing. I, I'm happy for the guys that got that. Everyone, you guys deserve it. Eric, I know, I know you're you're a bit of a like a pension counselor with tier three. What do, what do you what do you think? Like in your opinion, like where where did, where did tier three? Like what are, what are the things you think people should know about tier three? Well, first of all, they don't have the option with ITHP, which is that's the first thing: increased take home pay. And then other guys call it the second thing is fifty fifty. It's not fifty fifty. It's actually called fifty percent digital. So with, with tier two, you have the option to do what I called ITHP, increased take-home pay. And then you, that's pre-tax. And then you have the option for 50% additional. The 50% additional is exactly that. It's 50% of the increased take-home pay, and that's post-tax. So when you, you, when you receive your pension upon retirement, that money could actually just get in your hand, no taxes. That will not be part of your actual pension payment per month because there's no taxes on it. So I'm not sure if the public knows that. Now, tier three does not have that option. They don't have the option to increase take-home pay. They don't have the option for the 50% additional. The other option that I really have a problem with, and this is where I don't understand that cops don't understand. I've been saying this for years. They tell you at pension seminars, they say, never take a pension loan. Don't take a pension loan. It's the worst thing. Think about this. Mike, you're affected by it. Tier two personnel, you are permitted to take pension loans. Tier three personnel, you are not. You have to ask yourself why. And here's another problem. Now, Mike, do you remember this? Because guys that retire with 22 years on the job now that are tier three, because it takes, so the public understands, tier two, retire 20 years, half pay. That's yeah, a, a exactly. full pension, right? But tier three is 22 years. Actually, when you came on, it was 22 and a half. They had a lawsuit. And they said they turned it to 22 because the police academy was supposed to be part of that 22 years. Yeah, it, it, it was uh, 22 and a half, 25. Yeah, right. But here's the problem. So when you leave at 22 to get a half pay pension, if you decide that you want to stay at 25 to get that cost of living, which they really didn't even know the amount yet. It's supposed to be like one and a half percent, maybe two percent. Here's the problem. I always mm -hmm. feel that you're spending a dollar to make a quarter. So if you stay on past 22, you have to pay 3% pre-tax and 1% post-tax to wear that uniform that does not go in your pension. So do you remember exactly how you were affected by that? Uh, as, as far as when I retired with three quarters? Did you have an understanding of that, that you actually pay 3% pre-tax and 1% post-tax to wear your uniform? Uh, Eric, you're good because we, that was nothing was ever explained to us. and I think that too. You, you, you broke it down. And these guys, if I don't know it, because I researched a lot of stuff on my own when I was getting ready to retire and even after, and no one would know what you just said. And no one will, <laughs> and no one can explain it to you. Cause I had the guy literal, he was nice, nice guy, Joe McCormick. Like he said, no one, 
He goes, the, P- the PPA couldn't explain this to you. This is what he's telling me. He goes, and basically saying, well, you got, this is basically telling me you guys got sold out and oh, well, but, but the, the but was, but if, if it does change in the future and it goes back to tier two, you'll be grandfathered. And I, I said, to, I said, don't, I won't hold my breath. <laughs> well, nothing, nothing comes free in order to be grandfathered that you have to pay. And here's the other thing. Now, this thing, I have, I'm not sure if you're affected by it. That's what I wanted to ask you. So normally, if you have an actual uh, retirement without a disability, if you retire with 22 years, so we haven't got to that point yet. No one has ever retired on tier three yet. We haven't got to that yeah. point. It's a big tier three start in 2009. So when that time comes and they get a full pension, and eventually they turn 62 or 65, depending on when they decide to take the Social Security, they're going to get what's called a Social Security offset. What does that mean? That means when you start collecting Social Security for working all those years, that's going to offset your pension. Your pension is going to be reduced. I don't think that affects you for three-quarters disability. Could you tell me if you know or not? I'm glad that you brought that up because I I actually don't even know. I don't know. I'm going to have to look into that now, too, as well. Well, I I would say no. I would say no. I would say no, yeah. Because you, you're going to be, I mean, I, are you on SSI now? I mean, you should probably go SSI disability. It's your only no, option. No, I got, uh, long story short, I, I you know, I, I did get approved because it's been a nightmare. Before I. You should. I was three, I was three weeks away from retiring. I was coming home from Viper on a Sunday. And me and my fiance were going to look at homes in New Jersey. I'm on Staten Island Expressway. I was in the left lane. I got hit from behind when I was stopped in traffic. By a literal crackhead at like 60 <laughs> miles an hour. And, and, and yeah, no, no. I, I, I had I had my job phone on me at the time for after. They took me to the hospital because if someone was coming along in the HOV lane, I, I'd be dead because he hit me so hard. I, I saw him coming. I tried to get out of the way. He hit me. I went into the, the, the cement wall, the airbags deployed. I ended up having a neck surgery, a, sh- a surgery on my other shoulder, and surgery on my knee from banging into the the steering column. So yeah, I, I so my attorneys for the, the car accident, basically I had to sue my own insurance because I got hit. <laughs> I, I look on my phone and I'm in the hospital. Like I got hit by the wrong fucking guy. <laughs> Just got his license back, was uh five alert was license suspended, drug addict. And I'm like, this is this is great. So yeah, that's what happened. That, that's my luck. I got hit by the wrong Sorry, guy. I'm not laughing at you. Sorry. No, no, no. I, I laughed too. <laughs> Rather laugh than cry. So that happened, and uh, my attorneys went through, and I, I actually, it went like the the social security process. It's a long process, but it went through, went through the appeals process, and it went to a judge, and uh, I got approved after. So I've had eleven. Uh, this one on my shoulder will be my eleventh orthopedic surgery, and like sixth in the last five years. Oh my god! <clears throat> yeah. I mean, and you need it. I mean, it's not like you could work. You can't even lift your arm over your head, dude. So I like, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, so, I appreciate it. That's that's no, it's terrible. It's it's honestly, it's it's awful. And like that's why we we brought you on is because you know we want to just show like you're out there, you're a good cop, you do you do your job, you get injured doing your job, and then you can't even support your family. Uh, you know? Yeah, I, I appreciate it. And I I found I found you just through Instagram, and I saw it. I was like. This is a breath of fresh air because it's someone like me who you you didn't I I applaud you. You didn't get vaccinated. You stood behind your beliefs. I'm not vaccinated myself. Neither is anyone in my family. But I, I, I applaud you 
for, for what you're doing. And people do watch these podcasts and they're like, okay, we got, we have someone in our corner, you know, someone gets what we're going through and it's just great. It's a great outlet for people. <clears throat> oh yeah. This is uh this is my therapy. This is Eric's therapy, you know, and nobody will pick up the phone for Eric. So that he, he comes on the. <laughs> <laughs> Eric's all. Uh... Eric's awesome. I love it. <laughs> oh, thank you, brother. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you what do you guys think about? Uh, did you hear today that they're, they're going to put uh, they're going to make everyone put a sticker on their job phone? Oh my god! <laughs> did you, I, I actually, I, I actually was look, after I after I saw that and you had sent it to me. I was looking up like. What are the price of stickers anyway? What is the police department spending on these stupid stickers? You know, like, <laughs> I was trying to look up like, funny stickers. <laughs> better yet, someone, some, someone in one PP is going to get a promotion for thinking of that idea, which is even sicker. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I really like. What is it? It's, it's really, it's not to identify your phone because they could, they could ping your job phone. You know, so it's not to identify the phone. They can do it. It's to so that as the public takes pictures of you on the phone, they know if it's your job phone or not. And it's just another reason to break balls on cops. And and exactly. I don't and I listen, I don't think cops should be on their phone. You know, if I see you sitting on the phone with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or you're talking to your girlfriend, you deserve a CD. I, I'm like, I'm I'll be the first one to say, like, you should you first of all, it's a tactical issue. It's it's not right. You know, it's it's you shouldn't be on the phone at all. But like I used my personal phone the majority of my career before we even had phones. I mean, now now I got to worry about a million other things. I got to worry about this asshole fucking coming up to me, asking me why I'm on the phone. You know, like, get out of here. Like, you know, and now it's just it's just another it's just another knock on how this job. you And you said it best, Mike, treats you like children. Yeah, another way to demoral another way to demoralize you. And I'll say, I was a transit cop, so I remember when the shooting when the shooting happened on the train in Brooklyn, where I, a number of people were shot. And I was reading the articles in the paper, like the next day or the day after. And you had these ultra liberals saying, "I saw a cop on his phone standing by the, you know, by, by the emergency exit." And to me, I'm saying that could be the cop's job phone. You don't know what you're talking about. He could be looking at a job or whatever he has, or he could be entering whatever he did. You don't know. And then the, the newspapers run with it and say, look at these cops. They're on their phones all day. They're not paying attention. You know, that's how things start. Yeah. yeah actually, the PBA stole my tweet. They like literally, I, I wrote something about that when Adams came out. I literally, I tweeted something about that. And like, it was like word for word. They tweeted like two hours later, like exactly what I said. I was like, look at this shit. I was like, they don't even care. They don't even care enough to actually have an opinion or their own opinion. They're just like, oh, this, this tweet's going viral. Let, let's, let's put that out. Cause it looks good. You know? And I'm like, it's fucking bullshit. What do you think, Dim? What do you think about the phones? <laughs> oh, first of all, I blame, I blame Mayor Eric Adams. Here again, he's out with his swagger. What do you say? He went on TV and said at the height of the crime in the subways where things are just totally deplorable, what do you say? Oh, if you see the cops on their phone, I want you to report it. This is the guy that everyone says, oh, look, he's, he was a cop. He's going to have our backs. Who talks two sides of their mouths. And, and I, I heard him. I think it was on the same day. He was at a precinct. Have some words of encouragement for the cops. And then right after that, 
you hear him say, listen, if you see a cop on his phone, report it. I mean, a cop has two phones in his pocket. I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I think this is, this is again, this is what I talk about, micromanaging, which failed leadership. Now that you have to have a sticker on your phone, there's absolutely no room to improvise, overcome, and adapt. So if your phone, if your job phone battery dies and you encounter someone that may be a potential suspect, you don't even have the opportunity to use your personal phone, right? Because that's what a smart person would do, would think, think outside the box. But no, I don't have it. Unless you might be one of those smart guys that gets an extra sticker from the police services or, or a quartermaster, and you can put that sticker on your, on your phone. I don't know about you, but I don't want to put that sticker on my damn personal phone. And this is the most ridiculous thing. Again, like with children, you need a sticker on your phone. I mean, this is laughable. And you know what? I'm really enjoying this podcast. And thank God for the NYPD that they keep coming out with ridiculous stuff because you just give me more content to talk about. Mike, you must be laughing. It's hysterical. Uh, this is ridiculous. It's insane. <laughs> yep. You trust me to carry. You trust me to carry a gun, but you, I need a sticker on my phone if I'm using the right phone. Uh, it's mm-hmm. insane. Do yeah. these stickers come in different colors? I mean, if I'm part of the LGBTQ <laughs> community, can I get my own sticker? If I'm with the Columbia Association, can I get my own sticker? I mean, <laughs> or it has to be a standard sticker, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it's, That's awesome. it's ridiculous. Yeah, if you're not in compliance by like December 10th or whatever they put out, the 14th, I think it said, then what? You're gonna you're gonna take more vacation days from somebody. <laughs> it's it's an absolute joke. It's a it's a yeah. It's a great idea, Chief. Let's put that in. It's a great <laughs> idea. I mean, you like if you think someone's on the phone wrongly, be a supervisor. Go over there and give them a CD. We don't need the public to do it. We don't need uh, you know. We should we police ourselves. Like I I don't think. That cops are on their phone are a big issue, and if they are, go send inspections out. I mean, stop making them. I mean, they're out all day at details anyway, giving people CDs for White Sox. I mean, let's fucking yep. go out there, send the borough investigations out, and have them bang out people on their phone. They were doing it. The, they were doing it the next day with Mayor Adams. Like, if that's how you want to quell it, I mean, now, now I oh, you put this sticker on your phone. Fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Mike, what's what would you say to, to young guys, dude? Like, what would you say to anybody that's looking to come on the job or any of the young guys <laughs> on the job? Good question. Coming? Don't. No. <laughs> no uh, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> uh, be honest. Yeah, no, that, seriously. That I, I used to tell people even there were people that got on. They would say, oh, I took the test. I, and I, I'd say to them. Be a fireman, be, be a sanitation I said, this, this isn't what, you know, I don't know how it looks to you from the outside looking in, but it, it's not all, uh, all rainbows and sunshine here, you know? And I'll, I'll go further saying for my time in Staten Island, what, what I saw and the ne- as you guys said, the nepotism and this and that, you'll be uh, not saying that the, the one-to-one is, is like the seven, five or seven, seven, but precincts can get busy and you're doing patrol during a day. And you could come in from answering 20 jobs and you have an XO or someone looking to see your quest for excellence. Meanwhile, as you walk in, just try and sign in at the desk for your meal. You see someone coming in out of an office that is a cop just like you with jeans on and a T-shirt and their lunch is being delivered to the precinct for, for, to, for them to eat in their climate controlled environment, the house mouses that they are. Would you mind breaking down what the quest for excellence is? Because I think the public needs to know this was by far. From the research I've done, it was the mm-hmm. worst evaluation system that an organization has ever had. It's the most ridiculous thing. Mm-hmm. If you can actually explain, and, and I'm going to explain why they got rid of it, and there was actual lawsuit 
Mm-hmm. It's pretty interesting. It was basically, it was the entire month laid out and you would put like what you did for the day. Let's say you're a patrol, you had Sector Adam. So you would write day one, Sector Adam, and uh, conditions that you addressed were on there, two of the conditions. But, but, but mostly it was for them to keep track of. You had one line that said, a summonses, which is parking summonses, one line for B summonses, one line for C summonses. Then you had a line for arrest, misdemeanor, felony, uh, you know, U, a UF-250 stop question and frisk. Basically to me and to anyone with a half a brain, it was something to look at what activity does this cop have per month? You know, what? they didn't care if you're doing patrol and you answer 25 jobs in one day, like, what did you do that day? You did nothing. You didn't write any summonses that day. You didn't. You didn't write any uh, traffic summonses to make the city any money. What did you do? You didn't earn your earn your paycheck that day. That's what basically it was to me. <clears throat> well, yeah, that's true. So it, the question answers was actually monitored so that they they could actually check to see that you were addressing conditions at two separate different key locations per day, and. It was actually laid out what a addressing condition was. It meant enforcement, and arrest, summons, something of that nature. And here's the problem with it and why they got rid of it. So if you remember, a supervisor had to sign it weekly. You were actually evaluated weekly. And then a supervisor had to sign it monthly. And then mm-hmm. you were also evaluated on it quarterly, mm-hmm. which is every, every three months. And then you were evaluated yearly. And what they found was there's no other organization that evaluates you daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and yearly. So they never gave you an opportunity for room for improvement because, oh, basically they checked to see what you did after week. So you didn't do enough. You weren't getting a good evaluation into the next week. It's not enough time to show improvement week to week and month to month. So that's Mm -hmm. why they got rid of it because it was absolutely the most ridiculous thing ever. I don't know how they implemented it again. Uh, and this is the only job that you can actually come up with failures, spend $2 million worth of, uh, of stuff, and still keep your job. I mean, what yep. did it cost? These, here's failed leadership. We have higher echelon chiefs. The, probably the chief of department sat down, chief of patrol, and maybe some high-paid deputy commission civilian workers to come up with the idea, an actual procedure that you need a sticker on the back of your phone. I mean – John, with all the crime right going on right now, how ridiculous is this? Oh, I mean, all the all the NYPD cares about: Are you vaccinated? <laughs> Do you have a sticker on your phone? And what's that stupid fucking app that they put out like two years ago, where they wanted they want you to fucking go in there and say, uh, like, if you helped an old lady cross the street for things that aren't enforcement related? And I'm like, look at oh the fucking God. things like. Like things that aren't yeah. enforcement related, we want you to put it in there, and your supervisor is gonna uh, like sign off on it. I never even fucking looked at. It. I think it was out for like three <laughs> or four years. I never looked at. It. I don't give a like. I was like, this is fucking bullshit. I'm like, and honestly, if you're sitting there, if you're sitting there and you're a cop and you helped an old lady or you helped fucking somebody who was stuck or you helped something that you know anything that any, anything that a normal human being would do and you fucking write it in an app because you need credit for something i mean it's it's a, it's it's blasphemous it really is it's oh, like hey cop- look what i did <laughs> look what i did i don't know if you, the cops in the one-to-one would actually call the staten island advance and have them come to, <laughs> I, 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 I i i 
so guys, literally, I narc. They, they'd say, "Oh, uh, I saved someone's life today." I narcaned three crackheads who overdosed, and 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 three days later, I'm the guy that's that's having to do use of force uh, paperwork because the crackhead fought his mom and had to slam him once. <laughs> I said, "Good job saving that guy, guys. Good job." Roll the paper again next week. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I offend anyone. I apologize. <laughs> nah, that's great. I didn't even know cops called. Oh, I knew cops called the paper anonymously, but I didn't know they did it. To, uh, oh, stat stat now in advance. The they get their their picture picture taken and write it in the yep. <laughs> That's that that's the one to one precinct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love it. Oh my god. <laughs> Insane. Did you guys see the article with uh, Ken Corey today in the post? Speaking of Staten Island, another Staten Island guy, right? <laughs> he was, he was, yeah, he was, a, he was chief of Staten Island for a little while, right? Yep. <laughs> so the, the articles in the post: New York City cops tackling more quality of life life issues. Top police officials says. So basically, he say, he's uh, he goes on uh, John Katsimidis, uh who's on seven seventy a.m big conservative media channel in New York. He's uh, supposed to be like the conservative lion. However, he only donates to lefties. And his co-worker, um, what's his name? The the, the guy, the, the guardian angel, uh, Curtis Sliwa. His co-worker is running yeah. for mayor against, he's running for mayor against Eric Adams. So he says, and he's pushing, he's pushing for Curtis Sliwa <laughs> to be the mayor. But he throws a he throws a party for Eric Adams in the Hamptons. So Eric Adams, he's given he's given tons of money to Eric Adams at the same time he's telling everyone to vote for Captain for, for Sliwa. And then he just donated a shitload of money to Hocho. He donated a shitload of money to her. So he's full of shit. But anyway, Corey goes on there, another guy that's full of shit. So they both go on there. And listen, I know he's a great guy. I know a lot of people that know him and everybody love him. But, I, I you know, again, I, if, if you work for Bill de Blasio or you work for Eric Adams, you have no leadership. There's nothing you could do. You're basically you just letting some man stick his hand up your ass and speak for you. And that's it. And so here he goes. He's saying that he basically says that they, we've been stepping up quality of life issues so even if we do do, Mike, do you think that would be an effective approach to bring down the current crime statistics that we see jumping up absolutely not so you're going to take down the quality of life offenses whatever they're letting people who shoot people they get arrested they're out before your paperwork is even dry so what is that going to do it has to be changed from the top where the, I don't know what Cuomo was the one that changed all this stuff. Like, like you guys said, we started seeing the change where he raised the, the age of juveniles. And then these kids thought, Oh, I could do whatever I want. I'm still a juvenile. It used to be, uh, what was it? It was 16 and, and under. And now it's, they raised it to 18. You're in juvenile at 18. And even then, People are shooting people and they're out the next day, no matter what their prior history is. So it, nothing's going to change if you're doing it. It has to change from, from the laws that the, the criminal justice reform laws. Nothing's enforce quality of life all you want. It's not going to do anything. The people, people who shove people on the subway tracks are out the next day. So it's <coughs> not going to make a difference at all. Eric, what do you think? What do you think about well, enforcing quality of life issues? Well, first of all, I want to thank. Uh, 
well, I, he didn't retire. He's going to retire. Right? I want to thank uh, Kenneth Corey for watching our podcast because we have to read the article. It's obvious that he's been watching our podcast <laughs> using uh, <laughs> using lines that we actually talk about. So it's great if you want to address body life issues, but here's the problem. Do we have the laws, the policies that we could actually address? And the other problem is these – when you address most quality of life issues, there's not even – it doesn't even correlate to a criminal court summons. It it, it correlates to an old summons. And, and Mike, I, this, this came out after you left. It, ca- it, it came old, out right – yeah, right. Oh, it did. Right when I was – yeah. came out right. It was right. And I had – I had no clue what it was. No. <laughs> well, old, sum- old summons is civil in nature. So there's really, there's no repercussions. If if I'm pissing in the street and I get an old summons, I don't ever have to pay that thing. Nothing's going to happen to me. And then eventually I become, if I don't pay that one, I, eventually I become a recidivist. No. <laughs> and what does that mean? If I become a recidivist, I get a criminal court summons. And then if I don't show up to court, nothing happens anyway. You're actually, you know what I learned over the years? And I can tell you this. Based on the way the procedures are, the laws that we have, if and, and I know this is going to sound funny, but if you have a summons and you actually pay it, you're an idiot. You're better off getting a warrant, never paying it, getting picked up from that warrant. You get brought in. Guess what happens to that summons? Dismissed. That's exactly what happens with those summons. Yes. So <laughs> I'm telling the public right now, if you have a summons, don't pay it. There's, there's actually no point. You're going to get a warrant. It's going to get dismissed. And if you get an old summons, don't pay it. Nothing's going to happen. There's no repercussions. Yep. What do you think, John? No, I mean, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm going to test it out. I'm going to test it out. <laughs> I'll, I'll test your theory out, Tim. I'll be, I'll be in New York for Christmas. Maybe, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll take a pinch. Well, um, it, it's funny because if you do, if someone, if, if a cop has, has someone that is, uh, qualifies for an old summons, there is an option on it, number three. There was four different options that you take you take with old summons. And there was number three where a supervisor could say this person qualifies for criminal court summons. But how do you make that determination based on what? First of all, you can't say someone is a target because they're a gang member. And you can't say that they're a recidivist because guess what? What I learned in the trial room and everything else, it doesn't matter about their arrest rap sheet. It matters about what their criminal convictions are. So you have someone who's been arrested 20 times, but they've only been convicted one time. Why are you writing them a summons for? They're not a, they're not a violent predicate felon. Yeah. So you know what? It's leaving the supervisor in a hang. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You, you'd have to do a three-hour investigation on the scene and go through all his arrests to see <laughs> what his dispositions are for his court cases. <laughs> you, 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 you're like you're a reporter getting ready to write a story. Well, I just wanted to give him a summons because he was pissing on the street, you know? <laughs> but, like, yeah, no, so I, to me, I, to me, I'm like what he's saying, and if this is the case, they're pushing you guys to do quality of life issues. Um, I mean, I, first of all, it's it's not bringing crime down. There's not. It's not even close. When I when I police quality of life issues, you got arrested if you didn't have ID. You got arrested if you had a warrant. You got arrested if you were a jerk off. If you started talking yep. back, you didn't want to get you a fucking. You went through. You spent the night in jail, and I believe that was a great deterrent, and that helped mm-hmm. stop a lot of the quality of life issues. And us doing that enforcement led to getting a lot of guns. But here we go in the day of progressive policing where I have to ask you permission even after I stopped you because, hey, it's not even a crime anymore. I don't have probable cause. I can't bring you in in lieu I because summonses used to be in lieu of arrest. Mm-hmm. Now it must be a summons. 
right? It's not in lieu of arrest anymore. So now I can't even, I have to ask your permission. I have to do all these things. And what's going to happen to you in all of these encounters? You're, first of all, the chances that you're going to get into a, a, a physical fight are super high now because nobody respects you. You know, so you're, you're, everybody's combative. You have a lot of these lefty libs out there on the street that are going to video you, send send a video to CCRB. Third parties are going to make complaints against you, as well as mm-hmm. the person you gave a summons to. So what's going to happen? You're going to have uses of force against you. You're going to have profiling allegations against you. You're going to have numerous CCRB against you. And two years from now, you're all going to look like Eric Dim, unable to be promoted, unable to be transferred, unable to do anything. So any any supervisor, and this is the chief of department, so if you're pushing your people to let that happen to them, you're not a leader. You're a follower. You're just and you're you're just going along with bullshit. Exactly. You know. I, I think that first of all, John, that was well said. That was very elusive. It's hundred percent right. It's gotten to the point where absolutely because of, there's because of no bail reform and with the climate that's going on right now, with raise the age, Mike, that you spoke about. If you're approached by a, by a police officer right now for a summonsable offense, why would you comply? Absolutely. You're going to resist. You're going to scream. You're going to cause a crowd. It's not going to go anywhere. You're going to get paid substantially because you're going to sue. And you're also going to make a civilian complaint. Absolutely. That's going to be the outcome of it. A hundred percent. I've seen it time and time again. It's not the same anymore. Like you said, listen, Someone doesn't have an ID and you would take them in. Someone is giving you a hard time of being a complete jerk off, which doesn't matter anymore because they're allowed to be right. Mm-hmm. I had a woman tell me 40 times. I was trying to put her in a car. Suck my dick. Suck my dick. She must have told me 40 times. But I told her, I said, get the fuck in the car. And guess who got substantiated with the civilian complaint review board? I did. Yep. She told me 40. It didn't matter. I, I don't know if CCRB wanted me to wait to the 100th time. I think I needed 60 more times to go. <laughs> but I think after 40 times, I got the picture. She wasn't going to the car, and she told me to suck a dick. That was it. I, I, it, it that's, it's laughable. And i tell you even worse. So here at the en- end of the tenure of my job, uh, that towards retirement, I started working in Times Square. It just is disgusting right now. But I watched the cops. I started, you know, they were told to address quality of life towards the end. So here they are, they're writing summonses for some guy walking the street drinking a beer. As they're writing the guy a summons for drinking a beer, five gang members are walking past him smoking weed. I said, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever said, I've ever seen. So these guys are smoking weed. That's not a summonsable offense. But these nice people that are tourists, you know, where it's normal for them to drink in the street where they come from and they're having a great time or (laughs) supposedly having a good time, they get a summons. It's absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) I don't even know what to say anymore about them. Yep. Like, what do you, what do you think the path forward for New York City is currently, or, and the job? Like, what do you uh, think? <laughs> I wish I could. Uh, the path forward would be to get rid of uh, the Democratic Party and, and and the liberalism that's going on in New York. You see how? Like, I I was a kid, a young, really young, and when when Dinkins was was the mayor, and then that led to Giuliani. Come- Every the ship was righted. It took however long, but he righted the ship. Now, with the, with the way the election <laughs> system is and everything else, I, I I I really I hate to say it, but I really don't see any 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 light at the end of the tunnel right now. And I'm an optimistic person, but I really don't see it. 
Mike, I got a question for you. So here you are, you're a professional basketball player, and you had an opportunity to, to play basketball all over the world. And I know from my experience what the NYPD used to represent, it was some, very symbolic, right? People had NYPD hats everywhere. Tourists, when they come to Times Square, they love to go to stores about the NYPD hats and shirts. Do you remember when you were playing basketball? You said it was what, around 2010 or 2009, right? It was you from playing- 2000, 2002 to 2008. Yeah. Did you were you not were you knowledgeable to the perception of the NYPD at the time in Italy? And I, I know I wrote down the countries you said you played Italy and Hungary and Spain. Were you knowledgeable to the consensus of how they felt about the NYPD? Or what they what of their course. vision of that? Vision was like uh, the number one police department in the world, and you know, I, come being a New Yorker, I I still my dad was a fireman, but I respected cops, I respected civil servants, and. I saw it like that growing up. You, I, I was taught you respect police officers, this and that. They're good people, good upstanding people. You know, you, and now from what I see, I feel bad for everyone because it's, it's, a, it's a total disrespect. And when I got in the academy, you know, they show you the video, front row seat to the greatest show on earth. And, I, and me being the age I was, I'm saying to myself, I don't know who's buying into who's buying into this stuff. They show people uh, jumping out of planes, this and that. Yeah, okay. I put in for numerous, numerous. This is another thing. I put in for numerous positions. No matter what I did, I had I didn't have a snowball's chance in hell because I don't know anyone on the job. You actually have to know someone. There's people. They even made. Uh, sorry to go along with this, but they even made a detective specialist thing now. Where who? Who decides who a detective specialist is? Is, is it the most special person? Is, <laughs> is, is, is it who's who's got the, the you know the highest ranking mom or dad on the job? Like what is going on? I don't. I just don't understand it. Have you have you been to uh, any of those countries during the during, during this era right now? That were have you been there recently within the past three years? Have you been to any no, of those countries? Have I you? Do you, do you know anyone that's playing basketball there right now? All the, guys I pl- all, yeah. all the guys I played with are retired. But yeah. Did, any, any of them ever tell you what, what is – I'm curious in those countries, what's their perception, perception of the NYPD now? Is it the same as it was when you were playing back then? Do they still have this image that the NYPD is the amazing police department or has it changed? Have they, have they that, seen a change? That, that, that's a great question. I, I would say yes. I, I would say people from – that don't realize, people from outside – this country or out, even outside New York, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't really know unless you're living here on a daily basis. And as far as me, like just from being inside, like you guys said, you could see the change. I can only imagine from when you guys got on and then seeing now you guys must be like, wow, I, I can't even, this is like, this is no, this is like midnight and, and during the sunshine, it's like two, di- it's two different things. It's completely opposite ends of the spectrum. I, God bless you guys. <laughs> no, but I, I interact with a ton of people from like I, I actually speaking to a guy from South Africa the other day. I interact with a ton of people here in Florida, um, personally, and they all are like, "What the fuck is going on in New York City?" And they're oh, like, oh, "I don't, they- I don't know how any of you guys do that job. Like, uh, why, why do it? Like, what are you doing it for? You know, like, what's the point? You know, and you know, it really, it really is getting to that that point, and like." You know, I think the pension weighs heavily on guys in my tier, in tier two. I think people, like, they have this fucking thing that it's going to be the answer to all my dreams and all that shit. Um, 
But I think guys in tier three are really not looking at this as a career anymore. I mean, look at look at Mike. I mean, I mean, uh, that's a fucking scary thing. Obviously, you didn't think you were going to get hurt, right? You, you like no one thinks. Oh yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I, you're not going to think you're going to get killed. You're not going to get hurt. But you, you can't even work. I mean, it's 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 fucking it's horrible. And here you go. You can, you you can't even support a family. So now you got to now you got to be a genius and figure out another way to make money. You know. It, it, exactly, and like you said, it's basically. How did I get, like, why, and people are worse off than me in my tier who, if they got hurt with any time less than I did, this is why when people come to me with questions that, that I know and that I work with, if they're, I'd say, do, do yourselves a favor. If you're going to get hurt, don't get hurt until you have 14 years on. <laughs> that, that's, exact, <laughs> that, that, that's exactly what, because you, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to support a family. You're not going to be able to, uh, you know, live, live live comfortably, not live paycheck to paycheck, even though everyone nowadays, everyone is because of the current uh, state of state of the country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and, and obviously you did your homework. The reason why you say 14 years on is because it's nine year look back to your top paid five years on the job. Right. So being that you had seven years on the job, but a nine year look back, that means the first two years you get zero. Is that how they, they didn't even explain it. They're like, okay, this is, they said to me, this is how we got it. When you got into the academy, uh, you made the first year, you made what, like 42 or 43. Then whatever you made the next year is that all that goes into when you hit your, your last uh, 60, 60 months, last five years. And, it, and then they're like, oh, but you know, it can't be more than a 10% jump. So basically, your last two years when you're at top pay, well, the hell with you. you you're not seeing any of that. You're so it's it's basically like saying f you to me. And then if the contract is settled, like I know the guys in tier two, I believe most of them aren't finalized. So I know who retired. They'll get a bump in their monthly monthly pay. I'll I'll get jack. I'll get nothing. And maybe I'll get uh, if there is a percentage or two, I'll get like after taxes, maybe a thousand dollars, which doesn't mean nothing to be honest with you. That's <laughs> nah, crazy. That, I mean, and, and that's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing they're holding on to the contract seven years to top pay. Seven <clears throat> years to top pay. That's so now you're now you need you don't need 14 years if that's true. You need 16 years. 16. Right? 16. Yep. Yeah. Don't get hurt until 16 years for anybody that comes on <laughs> after this. Fucking ridiculous. That's scary. Like, scary it, shit, it, man. It, it really is. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not gonna cr- not complaining because i know this guy's worse off than me and also there's guys that i work with that are still 18 years on there they're out there doing patrol every day and some of them john i applaud you 1000 percent. You, you you stood by your principles some of them families they they've got nowhere to go you guys they they, they had to get that shot that that i call it the poison they get the poison shot and just to pay their bills pay their mortgage you know, have insurance for their wife and kids. And, you know, I, I feel for everyone. <clears throat> oh, yeah, me too. I mean, I, I, I don't I don't knock anybody that, that took it. I really don't. I don't, you know, because it's, it's like, you know what I mean? Like, you, you, we go to work every day to, to support our family. Like, you put your life on the line, whether it's you're going to open your pizzeria or you're going to be a cop or you're going to be a fireman or whatever the hell you're doing, you're going to risk your life for your family. Um. And, mm-hmm. you know, if that's, the, you know, if that's what you got to do to put food on the table, I'm, I would never, you know, you know, you did what you had to do. 
You know what I mean? You did what you had to do. I'm not criticizing you. I just, you know, I criticize when I get criticized, and that's when I'll I'll, I'll smack people back around with it. Um, but you know, other than that, I really, I don't, I don't knock people for fucking. I knock the guys that had over twenty that that you know they're just greedy. I knock the guys that had time. I knock a lot of people that could fucking could have left mm-hmm. and could have put a fight. And I mainly knock the fucking unions who's supposed to be there to represent their members for labor issues. And we just saw the order came out. I posted that yesterday. The order came out that uh, labor relations got notified that they're in violation, that they had no right to mandate anything except through collective bargaining. Yet when I brought all this up to the LBA, they pretended like they didn't know any of the law. They didn't know equal opportunity law. And it wasn't just them. It wasn't just Lou Turco. It was everyone down the line. And the way they did it first was get Ed Mullins out, right? Ed Mullins gets walked out of the SBA. The same guys that he was sitting in the office with, whatever he was doing, are still running the SBA today. Um, and everyone in every unit falls in line. So it, it just it's it's super questionable to me, you know, the whole mm-hmm. thing. And I'm and I'll, and I'll say it again: whatever Ed Mullins was doing, the rest of them were doing. So, you know, whatever he got in trouble for, the rest of them were doing it. And, you know, and that's just an accusation based on no facts. But something happened because they all no one had an issue with equal opportunity law, labor law, contractual law. Nobody had not one person had an issue with it. You know, so find it too hard to believe, too hard to believe. So, Mike, I appreciate you coming on, brother. Um, You know, we always give the guests uh, uh, the last word, you know, so. Tim, you got anything before we give him the last word? You got any other questions? Yeah, I do. I just want to say thank you, man. I think you had a super impressive uh, story. You played professional ball. You were all around the country. And yet, uh, you still you still thought at that time, I think it was pretty interesting, that it was still kind of like, I mean, here you are, kind of a celebrity. I'm sure in those countries, you know, you're, you're a professional ball player. And, and John says all the time, a celebrity uh, with the muscle without the money. And you, you thought NYPD <laughs> was glorious, right? And yeah, I don't know. I, I'm sure you wouldn't think of the same thing now. But Mike, I th- thank you so much for coming on here. Uh, I'm sorry that you got injured, and and I hope there's a better path for you. And I really thank thank you for coming and taking the opportunity with us. I seem like a really cool guy, man. Hopefully, we can all have a beer someday. Thank you, brother. Uh, I appreciate it, Eric. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, John. Uh, you guys are great. Just uh, what I could say to you guys is, you give people that are still working hope, and you give people like me. It's it's great to hear you guys. Like people would say, oh. I, I like I'll say to people, sorry for ranting. I, I love it. I love it. It's, it's and, and 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 the guys I used to work with, they list they love it too. Just just keep doing what you're doing because it, it it puts a smile on people's faces. I really appreciate it. And that thanks for having me on, guys. No, no, we appreciate it. But you know, like in tradition, I just what's your message to the world, Mike? Like you 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 know, like what what is it? Like what what would you say? Like how do you want to end it? You know, I, I appreciate you coming on, exposing your story. You know, it takes a lot of it takes a lot of guts. A lot of guys and even in retirement are still afraid to speak out and say their opinion. And I don't think any of us should be. Like we all have valuable opinions. You know, what's your exactly. message to, to to the world? Basically, if if you don't stand for something, you stand for nothing. And that's in regards to everything that's going on right now in this country. And uh, is we are we are the majority. People like us, hardworking people, uh, you know, people that that that, be- that believe in something higher. We are the majority, and at the end of the day, I truly believe we are going to be the ones that that win. That's that's all I have to say. <clears throat> ah, I appreciate it. 
ladies and gentlemen, the great and powerful Mike Weatry. Thank, <laughs> thank you. My you. <laughs> Mike, thank you. thank you, bro. Thanks. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate it. Thanks, John. No, thank you.